Well, just to encourage you, uh, to cheer you up, there are 77 days until Christmas Day, and it's on a Sunday. Uh, I think that's very exciting. Strictly has started. Who watched Strictly? Some of you. Uh, how many of you used to watch it, but you don't anymore? Yeah, okay, got a bit bored of it, really. But, um, uh, and so it kind of feels like, is the X Factor still on? No. Am I asking the wrong crowd? No, I don't know. <coughs> so it feels like the countdown to Christmas has already begun. And actually, Anna was in B&Q yesterday and sent me a photo to say that they're already selling Christmas decorations and trees. So if you need anything, you know where to go. But what has Christmas um, got to do with this week of the Bible series, and this is a tenuous link, but one of my favourite carols, and I don't have many, um, I don't really like carols, but I do like this one, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And the first verse says, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. And if you look at that carol and read it through, and we will sing it, uh, we've got this new version that we do, haven't we, Chris? New arrangement, new arrangement. Um, it's actually, <clears throat> it's all about exile. And exile is our theme for today and this coming week. And we're going to be thinking particularly about the actual exile of the Israelites to Babylon. And if you look throughout the Old Testament in particular, you'll see that that is referred to time and time again. And actually, the Old Testament in some ways is divided up into three periods, pre-exile, exile, and post-exile. And there are whole books that are given over to the exile and all that went on in Babylon. Books like Daniel, we're going to be thinking about Daniel tonight and living in his no-choice world. Uh, Jeremiah, we think about today, but you've got Nehemiah who goes back and he rebuilds the city. Esther, Ezekiel, a whole bunch of books that focus on the exile of God's people. But this theme, this idea of exile, I think, is also part of the bigger story of humanity. It wasn't just an event that took place all those years ago, but actually exile is the story of us all, because exile is about forgetting our own true story, and it's about being far away from our true home. Um, I was quite a pathetic child growing up, skinny, wimpy, bit of a crybaby. Some people might say not much has changed apart from my waistline, but I still remember when I was seven, and I can still see this in my mind's eye. And my parents dropped me off at a Christian camp called, um, uh, it was a scripture union camp at a place called Carity Wood. And it was run by this chap called Di Lewis. Guess where he was from? <laughs> Wales, yeah. <laughs> he, wasn't from, he wasn't from Tunbridge where the camp was. But basically, I, I was fine for the first afternoon after I'd been dropped off. My sister was there as well. Uh, she just ignored me. Uh, but then it came to nighttime. We all had to get in these bell tents. And, and this was back in the day when leaders used to sleep in tents um, with kids. Doesn't happen now. And, and the lights were turned out, and I became very homesick. I started to whimper and cry. I could still see it. And the tent leader then took me to the leader's caravan, to Di Lewis's caravan, and he made me a hot chocolate. But I couldn't be consoled, even with the hot chocolate, because I just wanted to go home. I then tried another night. And I couldn't settle, and I think probably the leaders thought, it's not going to work for this guy. And so my mum and dad came and picked me up to take me home. The irony is, is about um, 30 years later, we sent Sam on the same camp run by this chap called Di Lewis, poor lad. Um, he hated it as well. Uh, but, <coughs> but it was free. Uh, but if, if, I'm, if I'm honest, I still get homesick. 
You know, if I'm away from Anna for more than a few days, I get very sad. The, fe- the feeling is mutual, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and simply put, exile is all about being homesick. It's about being separated from home. It's about being a stranger in a strange land. And exile can be traumatic and frightening, like my experience at that camp. Uh, but it can be traumatic and frightening because we lose a sense of who we are. Because who we are, our identity, is often bound up in the place where we live and the people that we live with day to day. And so for me, I'm a husband, I'm a father, I'm a grandfather, I'm a vicar living in this island home of Guernsey. If you take those things away, that sense of people and place, uh, for most people, you lose your sense of significance. And we feel like we just don't fit. We can feel almost unnecessary and worthless and homesick. It feels like exile. And exile is what happened to God's people, the Israelites. And the the key reason why it happened was because what happened over time was that their hearts turned away from the one true God and they engaged in the worship of other gods. And so what we find in their story is that after the exodus from Egypt, they find themselves in the promised land, no longer oppressed in Egypt as slaves. They were now free people. They lived by the Ten Commandments. They were in this covenant relationship with God that was kind of forged at Mount Sinai. They tried to be, uh, and you may remember from last week, that angled mirror that reflected God to the world. And they recognized that the blessings that they had received by God were then meant to bless the world. But over time, they went from that way of living life and their hearts over time, were far from the one true God. And actually what we find is this running theme that kind of goes back and forth, that we aren't always who we are called to be. We end up far from home. And this situation of Israel not being their true selves is seen in a number of occasions, but I think most acutely when Solomon was king after King David. Solomon made a good start, but over time what happened was he began to use slaves to build the temple and his palaces and to build an empire. Think about their history, where they had come from. Solomon used his wealth, and he was a very wealthy man, to build military bases to keep his enemies out. He bought and sold horses and chariots, which were actually weapons of war, and that meant that Solomon was an arms dealer. He wasn't Uh, encouraging peace but stoking conflict. Over time, Solomon didn't always maintain the justice and the righteousness and the care for the widow and the orphan and the foreigner because he had slaves who were building his empire, because he had become a man of war. He was an arms dealer with military bases keeping the enemy out. Solomon also had 700 wives and 300 concubines, which is just kind of weird in itself. I'm not going to get into that today. But in 1 Kings 11, he says this. It says this about Solomon. His wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods. And his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of David his father had been. And so you put all that together. Solomon's idolatry his slaves, his wealth, his weapons, 
the empire that he was building, it meant that his heart was led astray. And he breaks that covenant, that special relationship with God, the one who in times had led Solomon's people from a bitter place to a better place. What we find in the latter half of Solomon's reign is that the oppressed, the Jews who came out from Egypt, became the oppressor. Jerusalem becomes like the new Egypt. Solomon is like the Pharaoh. And this special relationship with Yahweh, formed, forged at Mount Sinai, is forgotten. The Israelites are no longer that angled mirror that they were called to be, to point the world to God. This God was looking for a body, and he gave himself to this body of people, but this body of people who were meant to represent him didn't end up looking like him. And what we find is you go through the Old Testament, subsequent uh, kings of Judah wax and wane between covenant commitment to Yahweh, to indifference, and to idolatry. The people of God became the oppressors. They didn't maintain justice for the widow, the orphan, and the foreigner. Over time, they forgot their story, which was to reflect God to the world. They forgot who they were, which was to be blessed, to be a blessing, and they became strangers to the purposes of God. And so exile, that sense of being distanced from God, begun in their hearts, and eventually God, who is slow to anger, but also quite pragmatic about his plans and his purposes for the world, he then gives his own people over to exile in this place called Babylon. First started in 598 BC, uh, the Babylonians were the dominant world superpower and they came to Jerusalem and they took the key leaders and the king, King Jehoiachin, and they took them back to Babylon. It was a journey of about 700 miles across a desert. And, and then 11 years later, in the key, verses, uh, key time is 587 BC, they came back again to Jerusalem. This time they destroyed the city and the temple and they took most of the people there back to exile in Babylon. And so God's people became strangers in a strange land. When they got to Babylon, everything was so, so different. You know, they weren't like we are, who can jet off all over the place and experience different cultures, but basically your culture was what you knew. That was about it. But they end up in a place that was unfamiliar in terms of customs and practices and food and language and weather and religion. They were separated from their home of Jerusalem, and it's as if they've been dislocated. They become homesick. Psalm 137, which came up on that video, uh, was written by those in exile, made famous by Boney M. By the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept when we remembered Zion, when we remembered Jerusalem. There on the poplars, we hung our harps. They had nothing to sing about. Our captors asked us for songs. Our tormentors demanded songs of joy. They said, sing us one of the songs of Zion. And their response was, how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a foreign land? Their exile was awful. They were in pain, and they were incredibly bitter about the situation. If you go to the end of that psalm, you'll see how bitter they were. They say, oh, that someone would take your children and smash their heads against the rock. That's how they felt. Now, most of us 
don't experience that kind of exile. Though, I would say that some people who move to Guernsey, maybe not out of choice, but out of necessity, can resonate with that psalm. There are some people who live on this island, as beautiful as it is, who do not want to be here. Exile for us, for most, isn't so extreme as it was for the Israelites in Babylon, but I do think that we all experience various types of exile throughout our lives, and we don't even have to move away from the house that we live in. Exile, being separated, being homesick, can be experienced in a number of ways. Eugene Peterson, in his book about Jeremiah called Run With Horses, writes this, we are exiled from the womb and begin life in strange and harsh surroundings. We are exiled from our homes at an early age and find ourselves in the terrifying and demanding world of school. We are exiled from school and have to make our way the best we can in the world of work. We are exiled from our hometowns and have to find our way in new towns and cities, and maybe for you, in an island that you knew nothing about. These experiences of exile continue through changes in society, changes in government, changes in values, changes in our bodies, our emotions, our families, and our marriages. He, he wrote this before COVID, but in some ways, COVID and all that went on there was like exile for the globe. We were strangers in a strange land. He goes on, he says, the exile experienced by the Hebrews is a dramatic instance of what we all experience simply by being alive in this world. And, and things like divorce and the death of a loved one, redundancy, getting older, retirement, moving church, a change in our family circumstances, the list goes on, are all ways in which we might experience exile, even though we never leave the security of our own home. It's about being dislocated and separated in places and situations that we just don't want to be in. We'd rather be somewhere else. This is not our first choice world. Often it's our no choice world. Exile is a painful part of simply being alive in the world. It's part of our human condition. It's part of our story. And it's a key theme in the Bible story. And the Bible story does then give us some ways in which we can cope, as it were, or live in a place of exile. So what can we learn from the exile to Babylon that might help us live better for the Lord Jesus Christ? Well, I just want to look at the prophet Jeremiah. And I'm looking in particular at, the, um, at Jeremiah chapter 29 which is, I think it should be on your notice sheets, actually, if you want to take a look at it. Jer Jeremiah 29, uh, verses 4 to 11. And um, the prophet Jeremiah was already a prophet, uh, but when the Babylonians came, the first and the second time, they didn't think that he was important enough to go back with them to Babylon. So he stayed in Jerusalem, but o over time, in this, uh, in this time of exile, he became quite a significant prophet, speaking God's word to God's people from Jerusalem uh, into Babylon. And at the time that Jeremiah 29 was written, um, and it was, like I say, it was a letter, so he didn't go and see the people, he sent a letter uh, across the desert to those exiles in Babylon. Um, most of God's people were then living in Babylon, dislocated and separated from home in their no-choice world. You can imagine 
that amongst those people in Babylon, there was a lot of complaining and moaning. Because when things don't go our way, that's what we like to do. There's probably a lot of self-pity because actually they wanted to return to Jerusalem. They didn't want to be in Babylon. It was why me kind of stuff. You know, the food is rubbish, the schools are poor, the weather's hot, the Babylonians are just weird and they've all got funny accents. They're not happy bunnies in Babylon. And what happens is, is that some Jewish prophets who are actually there in Babylon with them, Ahab, Zedekiah, and Shemaiah, speak to those who are there in Babylon, into their moaning and their groaning. And they probably say, look, we know that Babylon is rubbish compared to what you've left. But they say to them, don't worry, we're going home soon. And these prophets talk about dreams that they have had, which kind of indicate that God's people will be going back to Jerusalem very soon. But Jeremiah gets wind of this and these prophets, which are effectively false prophets, and he begs to differ. In verses 8 and 9 of that text, he says, Do not let the prophets and diviners among you deceive you, Ahab, Zedekiah, and Shemaiah. Do not listen to the dreams you encourage them to have. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I have not sent them, declares the Lord. They were false prophets, and their false dreams and their false prophecies are interfering with these exiles living honestly in this place of Babylon. And what we find is that nothing that these false prophets say is actually challenging God's people to turn their hearts back to God again, which is what exile was all about. It was all about bringing a nation back to God. So Jeremiah speaks very differently to the exiles in Babylon. He's very clear with them about what the situation is. He says, look, you are going to be stuck here for a very long time. And he tells them how long in verse 10. It says that they're going to be there for 70 years. That means that most of the exiles who have gone from Jerusalem to Babylon are never going to go home again. They're going to die in exile. And then we have probably what is the most uh, popular verse, uh, but most misapplied verse in the whole Bible, Jeremiah 29, verse 11. And it may well be that you've got this on a fridge magnet at home or something. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. And often when we use that verse, we read it uh, in our Western mindset as applying to us now as an individual. This is about me and about my short, medium-term future. You know, basically, as an individual, I'm going to have a great future with God. And then what happens is, is that things don't go as well as we'd hoped, and we're disappointed, and that sense of exile continues. But I'd argue that an individual reading of this verse, thinking about what is going to happen in my lifetime is bunkum. I mean, it is a nice verse, but let's interpret it correctly. Jeremiah was speaking to a whole community, the Israelites in exile in Babylon. And he was saying that in the future, a long way into the future, 70 years into the future, which many of them were not going to see, they would have a return to Jerusalem. (laughs) You know what that's doing, don't you? Christmas lights, flipping heck. (coughs) (coughs) Um, Who's big, strong, and looks quite harsh? You're going to tell them to shut up. 
C. Wilson. <coughs> I just need another 40 minutes, C. <coughs> Jeremiah was speaking to a community and he's speaking a long way into the future. That, but those that he spoke to were going to die in Babylon. And he's making the point that the plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope in the future, apply to the community, and that actually we need to take a long view. God is faithful, and we may well experience a life of prosperity and security and hope, but as an individual, we are just part of a bigger story of restoration and hope. There's no quick fix to being in exile, so we need to take the long view. I think that the Western church is in a place of exile. We are not now where we were generations ago. Our size and our influence has diminished greatly. And I'd say that probably it's because our hearts have turned away and that God has put us in exile and one day might bring us back. The Old Testament theologian uh, John Goldingay wrote this about, about this text. He says, a parallel of exile in the life of the Western church might be that if God has taken it into exile so that the church no longer counts in our culture, and we don't count in the same way like we used to, um, we need to settle down in that position until God wants to restore us, rather than trying to turn the church into something the culture wants. And time and time again, I've heard of loads of silver bullets that the church needs in order for us to you know, save the nation, and none of them have worked. I do think we're probably in a time of exile. So what do we do? Well, Jeremiah uh, speaks to the, uh, the exiles and he says to them, when it comes to being in Babylon, that what they need to do is to get on with it and settle down, to be present in that place, even though they're far from home. The martyred missionary, Jim Elliot, wrote this, wherever you are, be all there. Wherever you are, be all there. I'll say the same to you as well. Uh, when someone's preaching a sermon, be all there. Jeremiah, <coughs> Jeremiah writes in verses 5 to 7, he says this. Build houses, settle down, plant gardens, and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. And in a way, what Jeremiah is saying is this. Stop moaning and complaining about your lot. This is your life. Commit to it. Don't camp in tents, which are temporary, but dig foundations and build houses. Make yourself at home. Don't be a parasite but work the land, enter into the rhythms of the seasons, get your hands dirty, eat Babylonian food even if you don't like it. Don't think you're better than the Babylonians and be aloof, but build relationships of love and trust with them. Let your sons marry their daughters and your daughters marry their sons. Jeremiah is saying that even though Babylon is not your home, pray for it. Work in it to make it a better place and if Babylon flourishes, you will too. Jeremiah is saying, wherever you are, be all there.
I'm clearly not there, am I? Because I'm looking over there distracted. And I do think, actually, if we want to live the abundant life that Jesus promises us in John 10.10, a life of flourishing and peace and fruitfulness, we do need to pay attention to what Jeremiah said to the exiles in Babylon. We need to settle down and get stuck in. We need to be all there. Stop waiting for a different life. Live this one. Apparently there are two kinds of people in the world. Some look at life and they complain of what is not there and others look at life and they rejoice in what is there. You know, if we're going to be exiles, strangers in a foreign land, look at life and rejoice in what is there. Settle down in this place of exile. Jeremiah seems to be saying, don't focus on what is wrong in your world and feel sorry for yourself and get lost in these false dreams but focus your energy on how you can live life well under God in a place that isn't home. Get stuck in to the life you've been given and embrace it and recognize the key thing is this, is that even in a place of exile, God is with you. And, and that is the most important thing. God is with us. Eugene Peterson again, he wrote this. We can say, I don't like it. I want to be where I was 10 years ago. How can you expect me to throw myself into what I don't like? That would be hypocrisy. What sense is there in taking risks and tiring myself out among people I don't even like in a place where I have no future? Or we can say, I will do my best with what is here, what is far more important than the climate of this place, the economics of this place, the neighbours in this place, is the God of this place. God is here with me. If we want to flourish and live abundant lives, it means that wherever we are, we need to be all there. We need to recognise that the presence of God is with us even in a place of exile. And I think that what happened was that those exiles in Babylon then tried to work out what it meant to be God's people in Babylon, and they settled down. And what we find is that over time their hearts turn back to God. In that place of exile, they rediscovered and they wrote their part in big story, in God's big story. It's likely that a lot of Genesis was written in a place of exile. They prayed deeper, looked through the Psalms, Israel's prayer book. A lot of them were written in exile. They lived hopefully, believing that in time God would rescue them as a community and they took a long view. I think in exile they discovered that their true home was not in a place called Jerusalem, but actually in a relationship with the one true God. The American author William Faulkner <coughs> wrote this, it's hard believing this, but disaster seems to be good for people. Exile in Babylon was disaster, but it was good for God's people. So, just to finish, exile a major theme of the Bible. And we will all experience exile of some kind. And it may well be that you are going through a time of exile at this time. The question is, though, is what do we do with these times of exile? Will we complain and moan incessantly? You can do it a bit, but don't go on about it. Will we numb ourselves through unhealthy addictions such as drink and overworking and frantic diaries so we don't have to think about it? 
Will we dream to be somewhere else, anywhere but here, and then not live here? Or will we settle down, build houses, plant gardens, marry and pray for peace, and find ourselves in a place that flourishes because we too are flourishing under God? Will we, in a place of exile, seek God and find in him that true home that we are all longing for? Would you like to stand? I'd love to pray for us. So, Father, we thank you for this story that echoes down to our own story. And, uh, Father, we recognize that some people here today may well feel that they are in a place of exile, homesick, dislocated, strangers in a strange land. Well, if that's you, I just encourage you quietly to name it before God. And as we name our place of exile um, in the choir, make a vow to settle down and get stuck in and see what God will do. We make our prayer in Jesus' name. All God's people said, Amen.